Welcome to Bar Talk. I'm your host, Robert Hill, Artistic Director of the Orlando Ballet, and it's my great pleasure to have with me today Alexander Antonievich, Principal Dancer with National Ballet of Canada for over 20 years. Welcome, Alex, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a pleasure to see you in person, at least uh, virtually, and great. to just chat, and I'm very happy to be a part of it. Great, 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 thank you. Um, of course, we've compared notes, and um, we had very similar repertoire um, over the years, and yes. um, might, might as well just dig right into that. And I'm gonna give you a question that I'm sure you've gotten a million times along the way, just as I have. What was your favorite role? <laughs> um, yes, it's a typical question. It's a, it's a big question. You know, at different points in my career, I'm sure you can relate to this. Different ballets meant different things and had their own importance at times. Um, I seem to have gravitated always towards dramatic roles, romantic roles, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, and part of my school wasn't so much concentrating on partnering. So I really had to do a lot of learning and strengthening once I got into a company to be able to even um, uh, attempt these ballets like Romeo's and Onegin's and, and things like that. So I would say those would be probably my roles that I kind of hold dear to my heart. But then somewhere in there in my career, I also discovered contemporary dance and neoclassical ballet and I kind of excelled at those as well so you know working with Billy Forsythe and people like that meant a great deal to me as well. It's a great answer I, I found that over the years the ballet that I you know for example um, when when I was very young I was given the opportunity to understudy Romeo mm -hmm. and eventually I got my opportunity because I was an understudy I was still in the court of ballet and um, anyway, I got my opportunity and that was kind of what showed them that I can handle principal roles. So yes. Romeo, um, and I did the Macmillan uh, Romeo and you're talking about the Cranko, right? I did Cranko and Bratmanski as well. Oh, that's right, yeah. Bratmanski, yeah. I did Cranko uh, once uh, with the Scottish Ballet, but you know, the, the Macmillan was so in me for so long already. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just felt right. So. Um, but then I remember uh, getting to um, Manon, that, that, that was such a wonderful, and then of course Onegin. So Absolutely. That, that was the trajectory for me in terms of reference to favorite roles or favorite ballets, it kind of was like that, so. I don't know if you find so uh, with male principal dancers when they're kind of at the end of their um, journey, it seems that Onegin usually comes up and I actually said goodbye with Onegin because obviously you're in black tights and, and Me too. You, yeah, you don't have to do these kind of big solos and things. So um, it was a role that I said goodbye to. And it's an actually an interesting journey for me with, with Kranko Zonegin in that from day one, when I joined the National Ballet, I really desired to do Onegin because I felt like I could relate to that character. I thought I could see a lot of myself in that character. And funnily enough, because I had pretty legs and feet and I was, you know, very romantic and youngish looking, I was stuck with Lensky for many, many, many years until oh, they gave me right. Onegin, yeah. Oh, wow, right. No, I only ever played um, Onegin. So, uh, and, and again, it was at the, end of the, at the end of the career. It's clear because it's the kind of role that really does require a, a maturity, right? Absolutely. Of, of character. Um, and the, the, of course, you, know, you say no big solos and no hard. However, it's still a very physically demanding 
those potages are killer, you know? Absolutely. And I was so. lucky enough to, uh, my first four years at the National Ballet were under the directorship of Reed Anderson, who obviously we all know is from Stuttgart Ballet, from the golden era of Kranko. Sure. So we had someone who was teaching us all of those tricks in partnering, Kranko's partnering firsthand. Mm -hmm. So I felt very lucky to, to, uh, to have been learning from him. And him, even at his age of 50 and 60 and onwards, would still just get up stone cold and do a lift with a partner. And you'd be just standing there thinking, how is this possible? Right. So I was very lucky to have that knowledge transferred to me. Yeah. And, and being a great partner is, is a big part of what gives a male dancer longevity. Because Absolutely. there's a lot of ballerinas that are looking for partners, you know. And <laughs> as you say, you had the, the inspiration of, of Reed when I joined ABT. Of course, Misha Baryshnikov was director, but he was also still dancing. Mm -hmm. I had Kevin McKenzie, I had Patrick Bissell, I had Ross Stretton, you know, uh, Clark Tippett. These, these amazing partners who just watching them helped me figure out how to, to get to that. And, and so, and ultimately I enjoyed uh, partnering, you know, dancing with someone more than doing solos. I mean, there was, a, there was a lot of good solo work out there, but what's your feeling about that? I was just going to ask you that question because I was always obsessed uh, with making my ballerina look the best she could and, and kind of be the silent partner who is there just to emphasize certain things and make things smooth and so that she can really let herself go. So I prided myself and I was fortunate enough in the first part of my career to be paired often with Kimberly Glasgow, who was um, a big, big ballerina at the National Ballet and very experienced. I mean, she was for a long time partnered with Fernando Bujones and they danced around the world. And, and she, she came from ABT before going up there, actually. She was an American, yes. Yeah, yeah. so I knew her from, from her days at ABT. It's All right. Such right. a small world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, ballet world. But yeah. it was interesting because she had this ability to really understand what her body needed in, within partnering um, uh, where she needed to be, how you were going to uh, help her get in transitions and things like that. So I've really learned partnering from her. And obviously she was a little bit older than me and very established. So I really had to be on top of my game. And I, I'm actually lucky because then, like you said, at the end of my career, that really came in handy because ballerines wanted to dance with me and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, what, what, what got you into um, doing this? When, was there a moment somewhere along the way when you were introduced to dance and, and you, you just knew, okay, this is what I'm going to do? Tell me about that a little bit. Not quite like that. I come from a very small town in Serbia, in former Yugoslavia, and no one in my family was a dancer of any sort. I didn't know what dance was, even like I couldn't picture it. But from what I'm told is that when I was a very young child, um, I, the music would play on the radio and then I would move to it. So it was something very instinctual. I didn't know what it was. I would just dance around, ne never having seen anything of the sort. And then when my mother remarried, my stepfather, who loved arts, really started noticing that I was quite flexible and, you know, was uh, um, sorry, moving to music and things like that. And he said, well, why don't we take him to a dance school? And at that time, there was no dance studio per se. The only place was a classical ballet school. So I kind of fell into this at right at the right time at the age of nine into a Vaganova, strict Vaganova school for eight years. Wow. 
And uh, not to say that I liked classical ballet, but it seemed that my body was really able to do all those shapes because I was quite flexible and had a nice extension and a jump and all of that. So it was kind of an instinctual beginning. But then when I realized I could actually do this properly, that's when the love, um, love affair with dance started. And then when the dramatic roles came in for my graduation, I did second act of Giselle is when that love really grew. And that was at what age, 18? Graduation. 18. Yeah. 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 And um, before dancing with the National Ballet, you were, uh, where were you? In Zurich Opera Ballet. Yeah, how long were you there? Was, well, that your was, first, the, was that your first job? That was my first job. And I'll just backtrack one step because sure. in Serbia, we uh, as males were required to serve the army. Oh. So when I, right after my graduation performance, I thought I better get this uh, over with right now. Otherwise I won't be able to see my family for quite a long time. So at 18, really eager and hungry for a career, I actually had to stop for 12 months and I served uh, in the army in Belgrade of all places wow. and got wow. really fat and out of shape <laughs> and at the end of that period i thought to myself if i want to make something out of this if i want to experience the repertoire that is really out there in the in, in the world i have to leave the country and it just so happened that there was a ballet coach in zurich who said well come on over and after doing three classes after a year off uh, off i went to zurich overweight and got a job <laughs> yeah, that's how the whole thing started. It's because you looked the part, right? How, how tall are you? I'm almost six feet. Yeah. And I was quite flexible for a guy. And right. at that time, the artistic director of Zurich Ballet was Uwe Schultz, a, a remarkable choreographer, European choreographer who loved flexibility. And I think that's uh -oh. what caught his eye. So I got into the company and, and stayed there for almost two years. Almost two years. And then what led you to National Ballet of Canada? We were doing a production of Peter Schofis's La Sylphide, and I was given the main, the, the lead role. And at the time we had a choreologist called Lynn Bellagat, who was setting this and helping Peter. And she kept on, you know, uh, looking at me and, and, and thinking, I could tell she was thinking things. And she said, are you happy here? Do you, do you want to leave? And I said, well, I would really love to be in a big company with a big repertoire. And she was a very close friend of Reed Anderson's. And he was in Europe uh, visiting, I suppose. He came to watch a performance at Zurich Ballet and quote unquote seduced me in the way that Reed had his way with young dancers. You know, he could offer this. Um, Reed had, uh, he brought an amazing repertoire to the National Ballet and kind of said, come on, come on over. And for me as a European guy was a big decision because it felt so far away never been to Canada, never knew anyone here. So it was a big step for me, but you know, now looking back, I think it was the right step to do. And you, more than 20 years, so, so what was it, 21? 23 years. 23 years. Mm -hmm. And you told me the other day you, you retired at the age of 44. 44. That's wow, right. kudos to you. Because Thank you. I was lucky, you know, as I said, being flexible that I didn't really have huge injuries my kind of fatigue came from my brain and being so hard on myself. So the longer I danced, the, more, the harder I got on myself and worked even harder and I was in great shape, but just, I was tired 
uh, psychologically carrying that burden of, you know, doing all the lead roles and then at 42 having to learn a whole new Romeo with Alexei Ratmansky, which was a very hard role as well. Um, and then at 44, I was, uh, I was done. And that was your decision? It was a mutual decision yeah. with Karen Kane, who was my artistic director at the time. Sure. We kind of came to an agreement that maybe it is time to uh, move on. And uh, my heart was so full and I'd done more than I ever thought I would. And I was really ready for it. So it was a wonderful ending. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And how did, how did your uh, retirement come about? Um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't really discussed. It just kind of, uh, um, it, it just kind of went, went away, you know? Uh -huh. and, and I was, I was offered um, sort of a job in Monterey, Mexico as an artistic advisor for the company there, which I ultimately um, then directed for four or five years. Um, and it just, I, I didn't have to make too much decision. I did Onyegin two years, the last two years. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I found that, you know, I could still do a lot, um, mm -hmm. but it took in between performances, the recovery time and the massage and the physical yes. therapy was, it, it just became, more work to recover than it did to prepare and do a performance, you know? So yeah. it, uh, you know, it, and after a certain point, you know, you don't, you don't want to see boys in white tights after a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the situation is at uh, ABT, but at the national, it feels that the company is not quite big enough for you to be able to pick and choose. So even as a senior principal, you will still, obliged to do all the shows and do all the mixed programs and do Nutcracker every year. So that was one of also deciding factors for me to say, I, I really don't think it's, it's uh, possible anymore. I don't know. Yeah. You... Yeah. No, I, that's interesting because I remember early days of ABT, we had principal character dancers, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with the Royal, but I don't think companies can afford to have that that you know people need to have more versatility in the, the the repertory so that they can do more roles yes rather than i only do soubrette and i only do you know uh, prince charming and i only do yes. prince principal characters so so yeah but um and i i don't know i i, I don't think that the the this generation is lasting as long as you know because i was 41 i almost mm -hmm. i almost caught up with you but <laughs> 44, that's, that's, that's impressive, I have to say, so. I mean, I was very proud of it because I really pushed myself to the last day. I always did class. I was always in the gym. Um, but it felt good to stop as well, you know, of, of knowing, oh, in two days at 7.30, the curtain's going up and I right. better be on top of it. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. You know, I, people, I, I, you know, you, I met so many people along the way, right? And, um, Everyone has a different approach to it. And um, I, I always marveled at the people who, who kind of grew over the years and just found that they could just kind of drift through or drift by or almost phone in a performance or something. <laughs> I, could, I could never do that. Every no. single time I stepped on stage, it was 9,000% or I just couldn't do it. How about mm -hmm. you? Absolutely. And I think that was one of the reasons I was so um, uh, hard on myself till the last day. I just could not envision. Uh, I mean, I thought the, the audience would for sure notice if it wasn't up to par. And um, there was no way for me to phone in. I mean, 
all the parts, for instance, our Nutcracker, which we obviously have to do every year, um, is uh, a version by James Kadelka, which is extremely difficult for, for the male lead. Uh, you know, I did that up until the second last year. So, yeah, there was just no way for me to do something like that. Yeah, I just didn't, it wasn't my character. I mean, I just, I was almost jealous of the ones who could say, oh, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, uh, you know, some small town in the Midwest. I think I'm just going to not do the variation today, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, pe the people would do that. And mm -hmm. I, just, I don't know how I, so, and I think that, that it allows for maintaining a certain amount of integrity, personal mm -hmm. artistic integrity as, as part of your character. Do you, do, do you agree with that? Absolutely. There are all kinds of artists out there. There are artists that are extremely gifted and can almost do it without any effort. Um, and then there are those fanatics like I was that, you know, never took time off. I'll never forget once um, I was uh, guesting with my partner at a mixed program in a smaller American company. And Susan Jaffe was doing Biodare with, I cannot remember who partnered her. And we were in the wings and just chatting with her. And she said, oh, I just had three weeks off. And, and I just thought to myself, are you serious? But somehow <laughs> she went out there and just did it. Mm -hmm. And I was never that type of a dancer, you know? I could not take a day off uh, before a show or a weekend off, nothing like that. I marvel at this story because I danced with Susan a lot. And, yes. and yes. Susan was like you and like me she Absolutely. worked 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 and yeah. to hear maybe she was just saying that i don't know i can't i can't imagine susan ever doing that but yeah, yeah. good good for her you know i mean she she is and probably because of the otherwise you know absolute 100 percent com commitment to it that allowed yes. her to to be able to do that you know? mm -hmm. so, so um what what um, how many different ballerinas over the years did you partner in with the National Ballet? A lot, a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't know at ABT whether you felt you could kind of foster and nurture a partnership. Um, I had maybe two or three like that, but oftentimes with the National Ballet, you know, they like to give visiting choreographers um, complete freedom. Mm -hmm. in who they want, who they want them with. Um, so as I mentioned in the beginning of my career, I danced quite a bit with Kimberly Glasgow. Then that mm -hmm. kind of morphed into um, having a very long uh, 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 dance partnership. And then of, of course, friendship with Greta Hodgkinson, another one of big uh, Canadian ballerinas. And um, one more name, probably Sonia Rodriguez, who I also danced with quite a bit. So those would be the three uh, ballerinas that I partnered the most, that I felt at home with, that we could, you know, when you know someone so well psychologically yeah. and physically, you can right. take chances, you can take risks, you can yeah. develop in the way it, it looks and feels. So I was fortunate with those. What about you? Oh, I, I, um, I dance with a lot of yep. different, <laughs> yep. Yep. really, really great, great, great ballerinas, you know, from the early days, Amanda McCaro. Um, I, I got, when I got thrown on in Romeo, my, my Juliet was Mariana Tchaikovsky. Wow. And, and I got to dance with Martine Van Hamel and Cynthia Harvey and Susan Jaffe and Julie Kent toward the end was a somewhat regular partner. 
uh, and it, the, the, the ballerinas I danced with at the, at the Royal, and then the ballerinas I danced with at City Ballet, mm -hmm. Darcy Kistler, and I, I mean, I danced with so many, Sylvie Guillem, it was, it was amazing to have all of that different input, you know, and, and, to be, and to be, yeah, and to be able to learn each of their needs, as you were talking about really wanting to make the ballerina look as good as she could look. I was exactly the same way. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you go, you go from a tall ballerina to a much shorter ballerina. <laughs> it's a very different experience, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So did you have a lot of disparity in the, the partners that you worked with in, height, in terms um, of height? Not quite. All three of them were approximately, except Sonia is a little bit shorter, but approximately the same. But I was just going to ask you, you know those times when you go to Japan and you have one afternoon or one day to learn a new production with a new partner and you just, <laughs> you just plow through it. Those yeah. were the frightening times. Yes, absolutely. Not, not, not fun at all, but somehow we did it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was I thinking just now? Um, so speaking of characters, um, what's your process in, in um, developing the, the sort of a temperament of, of a character. You know, we do, we do the physical part, you know, we do the, the, the tendus and the plies and the pirouettes and, the, and all of that. But in terms of the actual character, do you um, get to the point where you arrive when you walk on that stage that Alexander disappears and Romeo is there? Talk, talk about that a little bit. I mean, I wish I could say it was that remarkable that I could completely lose myself um, in the character. I approached all the characters very instinctually, um, never felt like I was putting something on because I don't think that would have um, read true and authentic. I tried to be as sincere and honest with any character I did, uh, whether it's Albrecht or Negin or uh, you know, any kind of story character that I could. Um, because that's how I am as a person. Um, so obviously, you know, I had seen these ballets many, many times, had seen people that inspired me, um, and I wanted to emulate in this kind of elegance and sophistication and almost restraint. That was the type of um, dancer I was in those roles. Whether it was successful or not, I cannot say, but it certainly was uh, a gift to be exploring yourself through these people and, and, and these roles. Um, and I always mention having had the privilege of dancing with Evelyn Hart, one of the prima ballerinas in Canada, who has this ability to this day, because she still does some, some shows, some small performances, of losing herself in the moment completely. Whether it is 11.30 in the morning in the studio, whether it's at four o'clock in the afternoon in a run through in front of the company or a performance, she really locks uh, with you in, and looks in your eyes and is completely uh, gone as a person in a way, which was really remarkable and taught me a lot on trying to do that. I don't know if I was successful because I was always so in my head and wanting to be perfect and wanted to be good for the ballerina and worrying whether I'm in the right spot on stage. So for me over the years, I wish I could have lost myself more in those ballets. Did you feel the same? Um, I, I always felt that it, I, I, I enjoyed playing a character because I could then just become that character and all of my own personal neuroses were yes. left 
in the wings, you know? And, and um, I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, I was thinking about something that you, oh, Evelyn, my gosh, what a, I never danced with her. I, I, mm -hmm. I wish I had the opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, quite, quite a phenomenal, unique, artist um mm -hmm. that i had ever seen in in the in the ballet world so um my goodness what i don't know how you feel but i find i gravitate towards those kind of artists whether they're in in ballet opera actors the the kind of craft there is there is is mind-blowing because uh uh now that i photograph and i photograph actors for for example I'm going to segue into that too. Sure, but I was just going to say how we dance is um, most often it's from outside in, right? You worry how you look, how you present. With actors, it's from inside out of really having to feel something before you can express it. And I always had that in my hand when I was dancing to really, really feel the emotion, if you will. And Absolutely. Evelyn is, is, is allowed, uh, sorry, she is able to experience this every single day in every single moment. Yeah, what a what a phenomenal. Um, but you know, you were talking about the the gravitating toward those kinds of artists. It's the people who who go the extra mile, essentially. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, um, do that little extra bit of work to to take it to that next place. You know, you can get to a very high level, and then be satisfied with that. It, but it's the ones who who really aren't satisfied with status quo or good enough. It Absolutely. Wants to be. You know, and, and I totally identify with that as well. So, um, I mean, we're dancers, right? So we know that every day we start with a tendu and a plie. And I mean, you just want to hang yourself, right? From doing the same thing. But 20 years later, 30 years later, you are still trying to figure out how does that leg feel? What is it supposed to do? Uh, how does it express? I, uh, uh, as an interesting in, um, detail, I love watching operatic coaching because I find it is so interesting to, to see these giants of opera world being able to, in words, put what they want from, from a sound, from a note, where it comes from, which muscle they use. So uh, I watched operatic coaching to apply to my dancing, which is a bizarre thing to say. No, I completely understand it. But you see, that's again, going the extra, extra, you know, mm -hmm. and, and taking every opportunity that's not in the studio of dance that you're, but looking at something and how to apply it to you, especially Absolutely. that kind of a refined kind of coaching, you know? Yeah, I was fascinated with all of those kinds of um, masterclass kind of rehearsals, you know, where you, could, you get to watch people. Um, uh, so. And would you agree that to be a really uh, a big artist, a complete artist, you really have to open your mind to all kinds of things in life, art, whatever type of art, because they all contribute to you being a more complete human. I think that the more diverse your awareness is in mm -hmm. terms of um, learning, knowledge, just information that comes in, you know, yeah. It only it only informs your ability to have more texture in, in every way that you express yourself, whether yes. it's speaking, whether it's dancing, 
you know, I think more information. If, you, if you're closed off, then, then you can already see this is your world, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of, it's, it's, and I'm, I'm, you know, this is a podcast, so people are not going to see what I just did. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? I, I think that the, 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 more, the more intelligent, the more informed you are, um, absolutely, it, it only makes your art also more informed, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so you, um, anything else you want to talk about in terms of highlights in your career? Um, you've, you've got, you know, so many awards and accolades along the way. What, what was something along the way that, that you felt really super proud of? Well, I'll just maybe go to the end of my career where I was so fortunate that, uh, well, first of all, Karen Kane became an artistic director of the National Ballet in 2005, I want to say and has kind of rebuilt bridges with the ballet world um, in in general uh, and was able to bring in remarkable contemporary uh, really big choreographers of today. So I had um, a chance to work with Christopher Wielden and in his ballet Alice's uh, Adventures in Wonderland was uh, actually happy to not have done the the romantic lead, but was doing the white rabbit, Edward Watson's role, which, you know, I was the white tight guy, white tights my whole life, all the classical roles. So to be able to give, to be given such a, uh, such a little dessert at the end of my career was, was such a gift. You know, you could be as crazy as you wanted to be and, and um, physically, you know, emulate this animal. And uh, it really was a fantastic experience, really right at the end. I think when I was 40, I did the White Rabbit the first time. And also to do, uh, to have danced Chroma by- um, Oh yes. Uh, uh, my God, uh, McGregor. Yes. Who McGregor. blew my mind. And you know, at 40, you have so much experience behind you, but here comes this choreographer and uh, will, have all of us stand in front of him and for half an hour he will be speaking about what dance means how you experience movement and you're just standing there and it is so deep and so intense and so intellectual that you can't even grasp what he's saying and he had this ability to challenge all of your views on yourself on dance on relationship between your partner and yourself on stage how do you relate to the audience so it was really a remarkable experience as well so those those are in addition to everything else that you did. Everything else, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, congratulations on on such an amazing um, career. Thank you. It's it's, it's and uh, it's such well, a pleasure. Likewise to you. Well, thank you. I mean, it's it's, a, it's such companies. a it's such a yeah. Um, I feel very huge gratitude, and I appreciate, and, and will will never, you know, and it's what I try to pass down to my dancers as I direct. You know, exactly, is to always appreciate every every moment, you know, because you never know. Mm-hmm. But along comes a pandemic, and then who's dancing right now? You know what no I mean? Way. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I'm, but it's 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 also nice to speak with somebody because there's not a whole lot of us out there who that's do right. kind of repertory, you know, so. <laughs> So it's it's nice to hear you say things, and I inside I'm going yes, I exactly, that. exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that's been a real pleasure. Um, so you come to the end of your dancing career, and then what was the process when you didn't just all of a sudden pick up a camera and start taking pictures, right? I kind of did, but not did when you? I retired. Uh, it was actually four years before I retired. Four, yeah, right. So I was turning forty, and I 
had this epiphany that really I am an artist who craves expression and creation, <laughs> which right. is so strange because I've been dancing since I was nine, but it just, sometimes you get this into routine and you forget how uh, miraculous it is to be an artist and what it, how it feeds your soul. So I was uh, just about to turn 40 and I thought, I have to find a way to express myself past the dancing days. And I'm not good at painting. I'm not good at singing. My God, awful. And I thought <laughs> photography was always a part of our lives, right? As dancers. We Absolutely. Mirror, it's a 2D experience. Um, and I, on a whim, picked up a camera and never looked back. And this was 10 years ago. Um, it felt natural from day one. I had a definite point of view. I had an understanding of what human body can express and how it expresses. Um, obviously, spatial awareness, lighting, all of that. I was always obsessed with, with the Dutch masters in, in painting and wanted to emulate that kind of light. So it's been a really a big love affair with photography since. Well, and, and I, I haven't seen all of your work, but I've, I've certainly um, seen from your website quite a collection, yes. quite, a, quite a collection and quite a diverse collection. Mm -hmm. but, but speak to me a little bit about, because you, know, you, you, you referred to the fact of, as a dancer, we were constantly in photo shoots, right? Mm -hmm. Being photographed. And, and clearly, I mean, you, you can see why, you know, the dancers are beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to, to, to try. And we're all about creating lines. That's right. And, you know, especially with classical ballet. And so, so talk about the difference between working in the studio with dancers using the dance medium, or maybe not the dance medium, but using dancers, mm -hmm. and then, and then non-dancers. Wow, I mean, it's really night and day. Yeah. You know, people, you're so used to, let's say, if you're photographing a friend and doing a portrait for someone, you know them, you know how they are every day. But if you put them in, in front of a camera and ask them to be them, it's bizarre. They get so stiff. They don't know <laughs> how are they looking? Am I looking okay? And right. when you tell them, you know, left shoulder up and they'll be, you know, keep on lifting the right shoulder. I mean, it, it is just <laughs> mind blowing to, to realize what a gift dances are for photographers. And I don't know if you find this, but these days, every photographer wants to work with the dancer because Absolutely. not only do we understand space, we can reproduce a jump, a line, time after time after time, because it takes time to get the perfect shot. Um, so it's been remarkable, but uh, by the same token, as I was mentioning before a little bit with dancers, sometimes it's hard to get through to them as people because they're so, they have such a polished expression of who they are as people that it's hard to get inside. So um, I've done a couple of projects about grief and it was not easy to get through. So I had to find a way to get through to them as, as, as human beings. And as I said, again, with actors, it's completely different. They really, at the end of the day, don't care how they look. It is what they're experiencing. And they have this ability, they do the training, obviously, to get to this very raw, uh, real place, which has been really, for me, an eye-opening experience as well. Fascinating, fascinating. Mm -hmm. Do you, and, and I, I know you also like landscape, you like nature. Minimalistic. Yes, yes. Not, not busy, but just I've started experimenting with long exposures and, and wanting to know what it is to slow down. These days, we don't really have a way of slowing down. And sometimes when I do slow exposures, you really have to wait for it. You know, whether it's a minute, three minute, five minute exposure. 
and, and see what, it, what comes out in the camera. So more a kind of a meditative experience with, with landscapes. Because where you are, you're, you have access to some really broad, beautiful, you know, what, what lake is that that you're right near? Lake Ontario, Toronto's on Lake Ontario. So it yeah. does feel like, like a sea or an ocean, yeah. Yeah, it's huge and it's beautiful. And um, so speaking of um, not taking advantage or not taking the opportunity to slow down, we're at this moment in our lives, we're kind of forced to, we've been forced into this, this you know, um, quarantine. So you want to speak a little bit about that? It's kind of inevitable. Um, here we are, and we're doing this by this medium rather than face-to-face. -face. It's been an extraordinary time in the world. Um, I think people were forced to kind of have a good look at how we live, what we're doing to the planet, um, the overpopulation, the, you know, the people are saying, oh my God, the, the waters in Venice are so clear now and whether they need to go back to being polluted really and how do we go about making that um, a new reality for Venice. I mean, I'm just you know, using an example, but personally for me, it's been a lot of self-searching um, and being forced to actually do some self-portraits, which for me was always a big no-no. I always wanted to escape to be behind the camera, but I was forced to do it and it was actually a great experience of, of just trying to create something and using my own body as the subject. And what little I have seen of your doing that, I encourage you, please continue. I will. It's an exploration. <laughs> my, my art dealer always is saying, you got to do, you know, self-portraits. We got to do an exhibit. I don't know. You know, as dancers, we're so self-critical. Maybe that was it. And, and when I stopped dancing, I thought, oh, good. I escaped this. I don't have to deal with looking. And at here's this. what you should do. Select a pool of us and let me be part of it. Okay. We, we will judge, not you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <That> sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I, I also want to ask you, um, if we can so kind of segue back into the, the dance and the ballet world. Obviously, things are not going to be as they were, you know, <laughs> and we keep talking about when we get back to being on stage, when we get back to going into theaters, and hopefully we will eventually um, be able to get to do that. But with that aside, after the lengthy career that you've had, the little bit of time off, I'm sure you've been back to see performances, right? Mm -hmm. what, what would you like to see evolve in the ballet world for the, for the future, for, for ballet in the future? My God, that's a big question. I know, and I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't, and I bring it up because I ponder it a lot, and it's part of my job, I think, as artistic director here in Orlando, um, to, to think about that. And, and, and I'm definitely not the, the type that wants to take it back to its original. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I were talking about this the other day, right? And, 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 and I know that you feel very uh, similar thoughts about that. But with that, what, what, what are your thoughts on that subject? Uh, well, I think about it a lot because I feel that we are in a place um, in, in history where our, our, our attention span has been so blasted and so conditioned to last two, three, four, five seconds. The amount of stuff they pack into commercials, um, into these blitz messages is really training our brains to expect that all the time. So sometimes when I'm at a performance and think, how can we ask people to sit 
for three hours to you know, commit a full evening of having to leave their home or work at 6.30 or something to get to a show and be there till 10, 30, 11 is a big question for ballet, for opera, even film. I don't know, I, I feel sometimes it's a commitment to sit and watch a, fi a full uh, film. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, um, I, but I, I, do, I do think that it has evolved to, to a point where I think Two hours is a lot to ask, you know, forget mm -hmm. those long three hour evenings yes. you know, that we used to do with Sleeping Beauty and ballets like that. Um, but um, but I, I think it's, it's also telling that we have got to make people want to look at ballet. And mm -hmm. if, if it looks to them like this old thing that they kind of suspected ballet was kind of dusty and old, mm -hmm. You know, and I, th I think that there's a way um, to m continue to move it forward with respect of the tradition of the history. I couldn't agree more. Really? Uh, absolutely. You know, when you see an incredible artist who is right for the role and you watch, for instance, Swan Lake or something, mm -hmm. it really is the pinnacle of this art form. It is, it is otherworldly. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to kind of take a step back and tell you a little bit, just um, I've had the great privilege of working again towards the end of my career with Crystal Pite, who has oh. become one of the biggest name in the contemporary dance world. Yes. But more than that, I feel that she is the future of dance. She brings a certain kind of humanity to her work and, and it is such a distinct flavor when the curtain goes up and people start to move, you right away know it is Crystal Pied. Mm. And then I was able to watch one of her productions that she created with Kid Pivot, which is her company out of Vancouver, mm -hmm. um, called Betroffenheit about, uh, it's a German word for, uh, could be wrong now, I think for extreme distress and loss which was made uh, uh, in collaboration with Michael Young, who is an actor actually, who uh, unfortunately lost his wife and daughter in a fire, in a cabin fire. Oof. And yeah. they were able to create this piece that has toured the world, was performed at Sadler, Sadler's Wells a couple of times, and I actually saw it twice. And it was the most intense and incredible theater slash dance experience of my life. Mm. I sat there being completely destroyed emotionally, uh, taken on a voyage, uh, challenged with sound, with, with movement, with, with scenery that I had never experienced before. So when you say, where is it all heading? I think that's the future of dance, of a more human way of using bodies and, and uh, connecting them together and expressing something. She has done pieces for the Royal Ballet, Paris Opera Ballet, and yes. really it is always, you know, at the end of the day, crystal pipe, you can really tell mm -hmm. it is her. So that's for me the future. You know, I hate to say, I don't know if Swan Lakes and Don Cues and Giselles can survive. I hope so, because to be able to do those kind of productions, you have to be one of the big companies that can sustain a core of the ballet and that many soloists and principals. So, it is, you know, un unfortunately on your shoulders as an artistic director to take this art form forward and, and really attract the younger audiences. I think inclusivity has to be a big part of this dialogue and, and discussion. 
attracting people that are perhaps physically not perfect for, for ballet, but we do want, you know, darker skins and, and ages and, and different ages and all kinds of things like that. Yeah, yeah, great, great, great answer. I, Crystal Pite has always been on my list of somebody I, I would love to get to be able to come and work with my company. Mm -hmm. Very busy lady. Very, um, very. But, but I, I agree with you and the big challenge, I can tell you, you probably know this, but from the position of an artistic director, selling your product. Mm -hmm. If you bring in Crystal Pite and she has this amazing ballet and it's called whatever that title was that you, and you know, you know, and I know, and five people that we're close with know this is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. How do you sell it to the general public? You see? And how do you find, Robert, with your company um, having full-length ballets versus mixed programs? What is the... It's the same for all of us. If you ask any, any of us, you know, Julie in Washington, Susan, I'm sure, is Jaffe, is now taking over Pittsburgh Valley Theater, and Kevin at ABT. Mm -hmm. Even in, in my days, and I don't know about in your days, but our triple bill programs did not near, nearly sell as well as Swan Lake, Nutcracker, the, the names that people know, you yes. know? Do you agree? Absolutely. And yeah. it's, I always say when I have new friends and they say, oh, we'd love to come and see something. I say, come to the mixed program. Yes. It's exactly. free of something. There's shorter ballets. You may not like one, one, but you like the other two. Right. So it is, it is a different, I mean, you know, in Europe, it's a little bit different. I think they have easier time um, selling the product, as you call it, of a mixed program. Uh, but I still think Swan Lake Sleeping Beauties are the big sellers. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, to me, that's not the future of ballet. I think maintaining those big, you know, the, the Tchaikovsky's, you know, the Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty, Nutcracker, obviously, um, you know, and, and some, of, some of the others, Prokofiev, Cinderella. Of course. You know, um, but for example, when I did my version of Swan Lake, I, I took a look at first act and you're looking, you're telling a story, right? So I looked at what information was actually progressing the story, what, what in, in the first act. And basically all you know is that he has a birthday, the queen gives him a crossbow for his birthday present. And she goes, ah, do not forget, now you must pick a bride, now you must get married. Mm -hmm. And they dance around and they dance around and they dance around and then he, at the end, he goes off into the forest to go hunting. So the information was birthday, don't forget, here's your crossbow for your birthday present, and don't forget, you have to get married. And so mm -hmm. I did that mine during the overture under a, 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 a spot, you know, mm -hmm. a, a special. And then the special went away and we went straight into second act. Mm -hmm. So I was able to trim off a good 45 minutes from the ballet right there, you know? And I've been presenting it, I have done it here in, in Orlando, and I originally did that production um, in Monterey, Mexico. And people are very happy with it because mm -hmm. they, get, they get the full story, you know, mm -hmm. so. It's interesting because um, I set uh, Alexei Ratmansky's Roman and Juliet on Bolshoi Ballet. So I went to that, you know, the, where it all started, the, one of the big, big uh, traditional historical houses of, of the ballet world. Right. And they still do Swan Lake in four acts and they all bow in every intermission and 1130 at night, you're still there. And yet that audience, whether it's part of their upbringing and culture, really loves it.
and appreciate it and it's full. So it's, it's an interesting dialogue to have because when we did um, Swan Lake at the National Ballet and James Kodelka created his version, he also tried to do what you are doing, which is marrying certain parts so that, you know, there was only first and second act. And the first act had the first and second and the second act had the third and fourth, right? right. To get rid of, of slowing down, bow, unnecessary bowing and things like that. So, right. Well, that's pr pretty much everywhere. Even ABT is doing absolutely. it. Absolutely. Know? And it's, it's a part of the reality. So I, 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 I don't know. But I, I also want to acknowledge that it's, it's rare when, you know, you, you look at the work of somebody and say, oh, that is definitely crystal pipe. Or you look at something and you go, ah, yes, that is Twilight Tharp. Or, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it, it's, it's very special to see that. I, I love the idea of storytelling in a non-traditional way. Mm -hmm. For example, when you're talking about this ballet, Crystal Pipe, do you remember what the music is or was? Uh, the music is all done for the ballet and very ah. challenging, wow. um, especially the second part, which is more, um, more her traditional look of the way of they moving and the scenery. The first one is kind of a farce of these circus characters that are actually doing this story. Um, it, it is a, uh, if you can get your hands on a copy and see it, it's re a, a remarkable experience. Can, I, I didn't write it down, but can you, when later on, can you message me and just we'll do. get the spelling and everything? That would be great. So, yeah. um, well, I, Alexander Antonievich, this has been an absolute pleasure to Likewise. sit here and speak with you. I, I know that eventually this is just going to be a podcast, but to be able to speak with you and see your face, it's been an absolute pleasure for me. Thank and you for having me. It's, it's wonderful to put the face to the name and uh, hopefully our paths will cross in the future. I hope so too.